and gentlemen, in the red corner, hailing from the state of Nevada, representing the steam and wise guys, it's the always feared Vegas Odds Maker! And in the blue corner, the crowd favorite from South Florida, Mark Winning Picks Lawrence! Welcome back, everybody. Once again, this is Mark Lawrence along with Victor King, and we're set to go against the spread on this week's college and NFL football cards as we move into the second half of the college football season. The NFL now underway, moving into week number seven, if you can believe it. And with that, I want to welcome our co-host, Victor King from King Creole Sports. Victor, all in all, can you believe how fast this college football season is moving along? I know. We're already getting set to wrap up the month of October it is uh, quite, quite amazing. Uh, a kind of back and forth weekend for us last weekend. I know you had a losing Saturday. I had a winning Saturday with the totals. I had a losing Sunday with the totals. You had a winning Sunday with the NFL underdogs. So we kind of did a little bit of a back and forth. And also, to be honest, we're a little bit in the doghouse in terms of the totals tip sheet. We had one of those... Oh, geez, crash and burn weeks in the totals tip sheet, losing all three of our best bets. So uh, that's something that was a little bit disappointed. Uh, the previous four weeks, we had winning weeks. So we're kind of calling it a four steps forward, one major step back. Uh, hey, we'll all get over it. We're big boys and big girls here. We're intelligent betters. We already know we're not going to turn a profit every week, and we are, after all, still kind of playing with house money when it comes to our NFL over-unders. But uh, I exchanged an email with our buddy Kevin O'Neill yesterday, and one thing that he said was, hey, uh, in this business, a losing week is an occupational hazard, but win or lose, (laughs) I always learn something from each week's issue of the tip sheet. Thank you, Kevin, for making me feel a little bit better. And you know what, Mark, also... I don't know what the, the the relationship is with you and Colleen and in terms of having a little bit of home support, but I certainly get that, uh, you know, with my wife, uh, Sandy, uh, late Sunday night, you know, Tuco and Monkey and myself, we we're feeling pretty low. My wife said two things that, that kind of helped me break out of the darkness a little bit. And the number one is the mantra that we use for one of our favorite reality TV shows, The Prophet, when she told me to, you're going to be okay if you trust the process, trust what you have done for a living will enable you to win more games than you lose over the course of a long season. And she also said, always learn something from every loss. That learning can be something about yourself your handicapping style, your bankroll management, your expectations, etc. cetera. Uh, when I'm feeling low, my wife says the right things, and uh, I think I'll keep her. Uh, she's a keeper, Victor. I know that for sure, and I love what she says because it's so important, very, very important, to learn what it is that we missed in our handicap. Now, it may not necessarily be what it is that we missed, but perhaps what we overlooked what happened that we weren't aware of. So you take that step back and you analyze and you see things. And uh, I had a real tough Saturday in college football. 
uh, our football games, uh, in fact, for the weekend, we had a, a tough weekend. We went two and five overall, and four of those losses were with an extra field goal. We go instead, we go six and one. So, you know, it's, mm. it's how the ball bounces, how that lady yeah. luck is working, whether she's with you or she's against you. But, you know, I take some salvage in knowing that off of a rough week, the handicap was still solid. And I would likely have gone out with the same plays again this week that I did last week. Uh, maybe, arguably, leaving one of them at home. But the bottom line here is is uh, it's critically important to uh, evaluate what it is that happened and take away something. It's, it's just like yeah. in every conversation that you have with people, whether it's sports or family, fun, politics, whatever it is. Uh, one of the things that my grandparents instilled upon me was to be a good listener. Take away from conversations that you hear things that are going to increase your knowledge uh, and learn from everything. And that's what it is in sports handicapping as well, learning from what it is that we do yep. so that we can continue to keep growing and moving forward and doing just that. So, uh, like I say, Sandy is a keeper. There's no question about that. And her, her, her words are words of wisdom. And uh, I'm glad she's there for you in situations like that. And Colleen, my wife, is there for me in situations like that. So it's really nice to have a really solid family support. Yes especially in a time when we have a little bit of a rough week, no doubt about that. Uh, it was a little bit of a rough week also, Victor, in college football last week. And uh, uh, last week we had hit upon the fact that uh, in college football, there are now, by the way, 12 undefeated teams remaining in college football after the dust has settled. Uh, and we are into the stage of the college football season now uh, that we are moving into what we call bubble burst territory. And just quickly, what a bubble burst is by our handicapping method is that any team that starts the season 6-0 and or better at the halfway point is perfect on the season and then takes that first defeat. What can we expect from that football team the very next game? Uh, you know, it's oftentimes a downer uh, because it's very difficult to get themselves back up off the carpet uh, when their perfect season was ruined. And a, a precursor to that is teams that were 5-0. and and took that first loss of the season. We call those fat cat follow-ups. We outlined this in the playbook newsletter last week about 5-0 and fat cats. When they went out as favorites, they tend to struggle, and they did just that again last week. Uh, and so what we've got here is what I call a fat cat follow-up. Not quite into bubble burst territory. That'll be for uh, six and or better teams. But these five and O teams that lost their first game in week six or game six, the follow-up games they've really struggled as well. And on the football card this weekend, mark this down. You've got four five and O fat cat follow-up teams that I think are going to have a very difficult time getting up. They would be Auburn, Georgia, Memphis, and Wake Forest. Those are our 5-0 and Fat Cat follow-up. You can read more about that inside the Playbook Football Newsletter. And by the way, there also happens to be one more remaining 5-0 and Fat Cat on the college football card this week. That happens to be 5-0 and Appalachian State, a uh, football team that uh, has gotten off to another good start here this year under first-year head coach Eliah Drinkwitz. Uh, they're playing that game Wednesday night as we do the podcast against Louisiana Monroe. In a homecoming role, I look for the Mountaineers to struggle a little bit in this football game tonight because they are indeed a 5-0 and fat cat. And before I hand it over to you, Victor, one other thing that I learned on the college football card 
from over the weekend is that in and amongst these 12 undefeated college football teams that we have so far this season, four of them reside in the Big Ten Conference. Two of them come from both the Big 12 and the Southeast Conference. Three of them are a group of five teams, and lo and behold, nobody from the Pac-12 is undefeated. Now, that might not be much of a surprise because the Pac-12 has kind of fallen on rocky times the last two or three years, and that pattern seems to be continuing again. But that's the breakdown. Four Big Ten teams, two Big 12 and Southeast, one from the ACC, three group of five teams, and zero from the Pac-12. That's my take on what I learned on the college football card last week, Victor. What about your take? What was it that you picked up from the results last week? Well, you mentioned the group of five teams, and it looks like it's going to be boiling down to a, uh, again, Boise's clearly the top team in the MAC conference. Can't say enough for what SMU has done in the AAC, now the highest ranked team in the AAC conference, number 19 overall, and 6-0. and We're talking, uh, we're finally reliving some of those Pony Express glory days down there in uh, Dallas in regards to SMU. Uh, also a team that's right on their heels in the AAC with a fantastic defense that is uh, that did move up four spots thanks to their win as the Cincinnati Bearcats as well. You mentioned uh, Appalachian State. That game last week against um, Lafayette was a signature-defining win. They were the top two teams in the Sun Belt, or I believe these days they're calling it the Fun Belt Conference with these uh, weekday games. You mentioned the Wednesday nighter against L.A. Monroe this evening. So interesting takes there. Uh, we're basically, Mark, at around the halfway point of the college football regular season. Uh, two of the best things I've seen thus far are, number one, the Wisconsin defensive rejuvenation in the Big Ten. Uh, their their D is better than ever. Michigan State became, what, their fourth uh, shutout victim yes. in six games. And ESPN has said that, this has not been accomplished at the FBS level since 1967. The defensive unit has scored four touchdowns and allowed four touchdowns. It has yet to give up a touchdown uh, in the first half, Wisconsin. We'll see how good that defense is a little bit later when they take on a tough Buckeyes team. And Heck, I, we've mentioned this a couple of times, but I still cannot get over the LSU offensive revolution you know, they've been playing football in Baton Rouge since 1893, but they have never looked like they look right now. The uh, DNA of LSU used to be what? Punishing defense, plotting offense, often winning in spite of underachieving wildly. Now look at the Tigers this year. <laughs> they lead the nation in scoring 52.5 points per game, second nationally in yards per game. They're one of only two teams to score 42 or more points in every single game this season. And you know what the transformative figure there at LSU has been? Uh, the passing game coordinator, Joe Brady, who did a little bit of a parallel move. He brought the vitality of the New Orleans Saints offense 80 miles west to Baton Rouge. And we've talked about it. Football's in the midst of a coaching youth movement. From the NFL's run on their offensive whiz kids to the college game following suit, uh, guys like Ryan Day and the next great NFL head coach, uh, Lincoln Riley of Oklahoma, who I think would be an absolute perfect fit in Dallas for Jerry Jones and the Dallas Cowboys. 
But again, no place needed an infusion of fresher ideas more than LSU. And no place has shown a more uh, dramatic effect of what a great offensive game plan can do. Victor, you mentioned uh, Lincoln Riley being a perfect fit, if you will, for the Dallas Cowboys. Sort of kind of a lot like what I think the mad scientist Mike Leach would be a perfect fit for BYU to revitalize a once prominent college football program that is now struggling big time under Kalani Sataki. So we'll see whether or not coaching changes like that occur. And I'm sure there's going to be a few more we'll talk about between now and the season's end because there are teams or coaches that are sitting on the hot seat as we speak, both in college football and in the National Football League. One other thing that I learned, Victor, uh, from doing our Inside the Stats article each week, and I really, really get into that, excuse me, Uh, not only is it just my database and handicapping systems and angles and trends, but it's also looking at teams statistically and how they're actually performing under the hood, if you will, Uh, how they're performing in the stats and head-to-head matchups. And one of the things I like to do is to look at teams that win games with what I call smoke and mirrors, where they win a football game and get out yarded in the contest. And they're oftentimes indicators or red flags that uh, there could be something amiss with that program. And you don't want to necessarily uh, follow them on the blind. There were nine college football teams last week that won games straight up or out yarded four of them by well over a hundred yards. Those were South Carolina by 171 yards in their win over Georgia. They were outgained Louisville by 148 yards in their victory over Wake Forest and South Florida by 139 wins over the aforementioned BYU Cougars. Uh, That's sort of what I picked up statistically uh, that way in college football, what I learned. Let's take it over to the National Football League side of things, Victor. And before I hand it off to you, I'll use that as a segue to get into what happened in the NFL side of things statistically. And what I saw last week were four NFL football teams that won games straight up but lost the yardage headline by the Carolina Panthers, who, if you look at the scoreboard, looks like they got by Tampa Bay rather readily. And they won the game by 11 points in the game over in London, but they were out yarded 139 yards in the contest. Now, that was two weeks ago because they have a bye week. We'll see whether or not that affects them in their play uh, in their next football game. That'll be next week against San Francisco. But all in all, Victor, your take on the National Football League and what it was that you learned on the card last week. Another uh, game overall, pretty good in terms of the uh, underdogs in the NFL. We got them at now 52-37-1, ATS on the season, 15 games over 500 on the surface. Not spectacular, but again, when you divvy things up, when you break things down, home underdogs 11-15. and 15. Road underdogs still hitting at 67%, 40 and 21 on the road for the road underdogs. Doing well. The best situation this season has been road underdogs taking on an opponent off a loss. They've gone 16 and 3 ATS on the year. And yes, if you do a little research, there are a couple that are active in this 16 and 3 ATS situation this particular week. And you know what else is going on is what, we're midway through the month of October, and teams are starting to get a little antsy, a little bit of panic setting in, in places that looked so good just three or four weeks ago. I'm talking specifically about the NFC East division right now, where no teams are over 500 on the year. 
Well, Dallas started off, started off good. They're now three and three. Philadelphia now three and three. There's a little panic setting in there in the NFC East. Couple other teams that looked so great a couple of weeks ago. What about the KC Chiefs, who started the season at four and zero and have now dropped two consecutive games at home against Indianapolis and Houston and a good opponent is going to study the game films of those two Kansas City losses, and they're going to realize it's out there. The blueprint is out there for beating the Chiefs, certainly keeping them out of the Super Bowl this year. And that blueprint is, number one, you got to be able to run the ball effectively because this Kansas City rush defense, very, very bad. The Colts did it two weeks ago with Marlon Mack leading the way, excuse me, three weeks ago because they're off their bye. And then this last weekend, Houston pulling off the upset, running for over 200 yards per game, and not only having a good rush offense to counter Kansas City and keep Mahomes off the field, but another thing that I noticed when watching that game on Sunday was Houston was much more effective when they were increasing the pace of play in that game. In the average NFL game, the amount of offensive plays is about 65. That's about the average. Houston ran 84 plays on offense against Kansas City. So when you can run effectively and when you can increase the pace of play, increase the tempo of the game, you can beat the Kansas City Chiefs. And they're uh, still 4-2 in the season, but they have dropped two consecutive home games. So that's my take a little bit from last week. There are some uh, cities in which there is some panic going on, Mark. You can also throw in both teams out on the left coast in L.A. with the Chargers suddenly 2-4. And And, uh, even the Rams losing a couple of games in a row have now dropped to third place in that tough NFC West division at 3-3. You might even say there's panic settling in on the Rams as well, Victor. They made that trade for Jalen Ramsey, yep. uh, you know, the out-of-control uh, defensive back from Jacksonville. They give up two first-rounders and a fourth-round pick. That's what seemed to me like a lot of ante that they put into the pot to acquire Jalen yep. Ramsey and all the garbage that he brings along with him. But uh, obviously they felt that they there was a need on that football program. So we'll see whether or not that ends up working out well for the Rams. Also, a badly uh, a, a bad first half for our hometown Cleveland Browns. And I think a bye week couldn't come in a better week than it does this week for Cleveland to kind of get their act together, if you will. Uh, I was talking with uh, our producer, Jeff Gates, before the show, who uh, he produces the show from Cleveland. And we were talking about the fact that, uh, you know, all the disarray that's going on with the Cleveland Browns and how disappointed everybody is in Cleveland these days. Uh, there could be a light at the end of the tunnel, just given the fact that uh, they will have Kareem Hunt coming, joining the team the second half of the football season. And when he does, hopefully their injury situation will work itself out. There's big talk in for a trade with the Washington Redskins for one of their uh, offensive linemen. They call them uh, the big oinkers, the pigs at Washington. Cleveland up badly needs an offensive lineman here as well. So no better time for a bye week than for the Cleveland Browns this particular week. That's what I learned. And one other quick note, Victor, here, before we get off into our rant this particular week, our good friend Steve Crabb, the Texas Tornado from Dallas, sent this notice over here, and he was talking about what is alleged to be the best home fields in the National Football League as far as the players having to play on good home fields, the visiting team struggling on those fields. Well, Bleacher Report 
Realtor.com listed uh, the top four home fields as being New England, Green Bay, Denver, and Seattle. But Steve comes up with an interesting uh, twist to this particular situation in the fact that he likes to, when he watches games, he puts a headset on and he listens to the crowd noise and he can detect exactly how much crowd noise is affecting visiting football teams. And uh, according to Steve, he contends that the Minnesota Vikings have the strongest home field as far as crowd noise goes in the National Football League. It probably may go hand in hand with the fact that Mike Zimmer is the best point spread coach in the National Football League. And it really worked out well against the Philadelphia Eagles last week. Uh, That's my take, Victor, on what Steve mentioned about home field advantage in the National Football League. Any comment from you on that particular subject? There used to be a time when we would handicap a game in which you would basically automatically give the home team three points for that uh, advantage, for that advantage of hosting the game. But with the road underdogs hitting so well this year, it's kind of forced me to reevaluate that. Do you necessarily have to give every team in the NFL three points for a home field advantage? And I don't feel that you do these days. Uh, In some cases, I'll take it down to two and a half and even down to two. So that that whole mantra of the old days where you would give somebody three points for home field, it doesn't work uh, completely uh, this season. And I did catch that um, email from Steve in regards to the Vikings, and that is definitely one of the loudest places in the NFL. You know, it, you know it, just to follow up on what you just mentioned, Victor, here, there was a time when uh, Beck, uh, beginning as a handicapper, and I'm sure even people today with the legalization of sports wagering, as they uh, begin to uh, acclimate themselves into you know, putting a little thought or handicap into what it is they're going to actually be wagering on, and looking at home fields, you know, like you say, we just blindly, on the blind, assign three points to a home field of the National Football League. Now, I might have done that because as a kid uh, in high school, I used to read the gold sheet and uh, studied it a lot in high school. And they assigned three points on the blind yeah. to home fields in the National Football League. And it's so far removed from that today, especially in the world of analytics. And as you say, there has to be and needs to be an adjustment for home teams in the National Football League. Case in point, the L.A. Chargers have zero home field advantage. In (laughs) fact, they have a negative disadvantage at home field. You'd probably put it at minus one or minus two if you were, in truth, working up true numbers about teams in the National Football League. Uh, it, It can't be encouraging to players like the Chargers were when they were hosting the Steelers, and the whole crowd was from Pittsburgh and cheering for the for the Steelers in the football game. Uh, we point this out in uh, in our check it out in our Inside the Stats column this week, but you'll see the dramatic difference in the LA Chargers straight up and point spread record at home as opposed to on the road since they moved from San Diego up to Los Angeles. It's startling. So uh, something to consider that when you are handicapping National Football League games and you're talking about home fields, do your work. Pay attention to exactly how important those home fields can be. With that, Victor, let's move on to a subject that uh, has become a favorite of ours. Uh, it was a recommendation by Jeff Kabasiak, our good friend from Canada, about our rant of the week. And uh, we've got a pretty good rant that we want to get off on this week. Jeff, if you would do the honors. And now, this week's rant from Mark and Victor. All right, let's get to it. This is a hot topic subject, and it's fresh in the minds of everybody. We saw it Monday night 
in the National Football League when the Zebras controlled a football game and handed a victory to the Green Bay Packers. Uh, and they did that when they issued two back-to-back hands-to-the-shoulder-pad flags, which kept Green Bay drives alive in the football game. Not only did it keep the drive alive, but from a player's betting perspective, if you had the Green Bay Packers in that football game, you absolutely wanted to puke. If you had the Detroit Lions in that football game, you were elated because the Green Bay Packers were in position to score late in the football game and beat the spread in the contest. But what happened, lo and behold, we saw as Jamal Williams, I believe. Yes. Yeah, Jamal yes, Williams, Williams. Yes, okay. The sea parted, and, he, and they just gave it, the Detroit Lions defense just gave him the end zone to run into, but he sat down like Todd Gurley near the goal line, and they kneeled down, kicked the field goal with no time left. They win by one point, and a complete huge reversal of money changed hands because of that particular situation. We were on the Green Bay Packers. We were deeply disappointed in the game. We can cry about uh, the poor performance by the Green Bay wide receivers who honestly look more like linebackers than wide receivers, hands bouncing off, passes bouncing off their hands like bricks. But the bottom line here is the truth of the matter is, one, the Green Bay Packers did the right thing because they did not allow the Detroit Lions to touch the football from that point on and won the football game. Uh, I could question the fact that uh, you take the touchdown, you take the bird in the hand, and you force them to go 85 or 80 yards to beat you with a touchdown because you know a field goal is not automatic these days in the National Football League. Even up close, there could be a bad snap, there could be a block kick, yada yada. But the bottom line is, I think percentage-wise, they did the right thing. My case in point in the football game, Victor, are the referees in that contest. Uh, it it appeared to me to be only oh so obvious. The first hands to the shoulder foul was almost ridiculous, and to follow it up with the same call against the same player with a ticky-tack touch on those football games that determine the outcome of the football game, my take on this whole situation is that we need full-time referees in the National Football League that are salaried year-round. Like players, like coaches, referees need to be the same. The NFL has to bite the bullet, pay these guys a full-time salary, and also the best zebras or referees that are doing games in the National Football League these days, as Jeff mentions in his email, aren't even on the field. They're upstairs in the booth or in New York City watching the game uh, and then making decisions about contested plays. We need to get the best referees on the field here because that was absolutely pathetic for what we saw. If I'm a Detroit Lions football fan, I'm absolutely disheartened after what I saw Monday night in that football game. Victor, your take on this subject. Not only was the ATS result in doubt on that Jamal Williams sit-down at the end of the game, but the over-under as well. If he gets into the end zone, the game goes over the total. Since he fell down on the two-yard line and they kicked the field goal, the game stayed under the total. Maybe we can pump Andy for a little bit more information in regards to the amount of money that was either lost or won because of that decision in that particular game. But we've talked about it. I mean, there have been some basic, unwatchable games. The Carolina-Tampa Bay game from earlier this season. Uh, Me watching the Dallas-New York Jets game in which there was a penalty on six consecutive offensive plays in a row. It's just, it's not making the game very, very enjoyable. Numerous penalties that should not have been called in the Monday night game against the Detroit Lions. 
Did you know that in college football, there's eight officials on the field? In the NFL, there's only seven. That does not seem right. The NFL has never really addressed the official problem, and you called it. Make it a full-time position. Make it a 12-month position. Commit to uh, officiating crews in the NFL. Why they're not a full-time gig, I do not know. But one final thought was that the NFL, they, they owe it to the fans and the, to the viewers to admit officiating errors, not just explaining when they make correct calls. It doesn't change outcomes. But we know from the, being in the handicapping business, Mark, that transparency and accountability is important. Nothing better well said, Victor, about total transparency, whether it's from the handicapping side of things or uh, the professional entertainment side of things. And the National Football League needs to be more transparent in what it is they're doing rather than covering the asses for the referees that are making mistakes that are only too obvious, especially if it's obvious to the eyes of millions of people watching the football game. It has to be apparent to the league as well. So hopefully Roger Goodell will do something about this sooner than later so that it doesn't become another issue where in the offseason they have to change penalty rules because of these badly flagrantly missed calls by the National Football League referees. With that, guys, let's take a break here and uh, hop out. We're going to come back here, and when we do, Victor and I, we're going to tear down our college football game of the week. we got a beauty on tap in the Big Ten Conference, and we come back with more here on Mark Lawrence Against the Spread. It's time to experience the all-new Playbook Experts VIP Experience. Only the Playbook Experts VIP Experience offers We Pay the Juice, Conflict Game Notices, Tokens Bonuses, SMS Alerts, and Genius Game Alerts. It's the only customer experience of its kind. To find out more about becoming a Playbook Experts VIP, log on today at playbook.com or call toll-free for more information at 1-800-PLAYBOOK. Become a VIP this football season with your Playbook Experts VIP membership. Welcome back, everybody. This is Mark Lawrence along with Victor King as we go against the spread. On this week's College and Pro Football Card, it's time once again for our College Football Game of the Week. This week, we're going to the Big Ten Conference, where the Michigan Wolverines are going to invade Happy Valley to take on Penn State in what will be a whiteout for the Nittany Lions. Victor, your take this weekend on the Wolverines and the Lions in our featured College Football Game of the Week. All right, Big Ten after dark, Happy Valley, 7.30 Eastern, Saturday night. Should be a fun game. The over-underline opened at 45. It's gone up a half point. The last time I looked, it was at 45 and a half. On the season, we got a couple of reversals here. One team's four and two over-under. The other's two and four. The four and two over-under team is surprisingly Michigan, who's also gone three and one to the over in conference play. A little surprising, considering they're the 13th-ranked defense in the country, allowing only 283 Yards per game, as good as Michigan is on defense, they're actually a team that's gone 36-15-1 over under in the last four seasons. Uh, that's more than double the amount of overs than unders for the Wolverines. That includes 13-3 to the over on the road when taking on greater than 500 or winning opponents. 
Penn State two and four over under this year, including a perfect zero and four in each of their last four games. Also zero and three to the under in conference play. I'm sure you'll talk a little bit more. Fantastic defense for Penn State, number four ranked nationally at uh, what only two fifty nine point seven yards uh, per game allowed. In terms of the um, series tendencies between these two teams. A little bit surprising to see that six out of the last seven meetings have gone over the total, including a perfect 4-0 and in the uh, last four meetings between these two particular teams. That included last year when uh, Michigan won 42-7. to The game went over by one point as the over-under line was 48. There were 55 points scored uh, in 2017, 59 points scored in 2016, the average margin between these two teams, plus 4.5 points per game when they play each other. Uh, also, the series has gone a perfect 5-0 and in the last five played at Happy Valley. Based on the point spread, which is what Mich- uh, Penn State currently around a nine-point favorite, which seems a little high to me, uh, and also the over-under line of 45.5, the anticipated final score, 27 to about... 18 and a half, and I know 6-0 and has been fun for Penn State, but have they played like a Wisconsin or anybody like that? No, they played who? Idaho, Buffalo, Purdue, a Maryland team on a Friday night that kind of thought the game was the next day on a Saturday, and <laughs> it took everything in Penn State's arsenal to get by both Pitt and Iowa in low-scoring battles. It kind of seems like Michigan's better than the both of them, I know they look like they're always playing on the verge of a total meltdown, but they've still managed to get to 5-1. and one. Of course, their lone loss was when Wisconsin ran over them. Uh, with that said, they were taken to overtime at home by Army, and the fact that they gave up 25 unanswered points last week to Illinois is a little bit alarming to me. I'm going to lean over. I like the fact the series history has been higher scoring than uh, one might think. With the over-under line in the mid-40s, I still see this game finishing somewhere in the high 40s. Oh, maybe a 28-21 to 21 score, 28-24 to 24 score. I think there's value on the dog as well. As it is right now, we'll lean on the over the total when Michigan takes on Penn State, Big Ten after dark, Saturday night. Victor leans over the total with what he perceives to be value for a low total in this football game Saturday night. When Penn State plays host to Michigan, as Victor mentioned here, this is a matchup of uh, two top-ranked t- uh, teams in the AP polls. In fact, we've only got two matchups this week of uh, teams that are both ranked in the top 25 polls, this and the Washington-Oregon football game. Uh, getting into the top 25 obviously means that you play a pretty good brand of defense. Uh, yes, Michigan is ranked number 14 overall in total defense. Uh, number 15 in scoring defense, Penn State number four in defense, and number two in scoring defense. So it's kind of been about that. And what Victor also mentioned is a good point, that if you look at Penn State and this soft schedule that they played thus far this football season here, you'll note that in the two games against formidable opponents, and I'm saying formidable in the sense that opponents that are likely to be in bowl games this football season here, that being Iowa and the Pitt Panthers, Penn State managed in both of those games to score just 17 total points. 
So whether or not they're going to be able to move this Michigan defense is remains to be another story. The Michigan defense always very highly ta- uh, touted a vaunted defense in the past under Harbaugh. The last four years, they haven't allowed more than 300 yards a season. They started out a little bit sluggish that way this year, but you go back in the last two football games, they've held both of those opponents to season low yards. And before that, they even allowed a buck 54 to lowly Rutgers. So I think this defense is going to really start simmering for Michigan between now and the end of the football season. Another point Victor brings out well taken is the fact that Despite what looks to be their troubles this season, the Wolverines obviously just two and four against the spread, but five and one straight up that one loss coming to mighty Wisconsin. Nothing to be ashamed about in that football game other than the degree of which they took a beating in the contest. Uh, Michigan has won and covered four of the last five games in this series, so they're not likely to be intimidated by Penn State in any way, shape, or form coming into this contest. You've got Penn State coming off a hard-fought physical football game against Iowa last week. Penn State just 2-5 and five against the spread in games after taking on Iowa. And in fact, if you take a look at James Franklin's record, the Penn State head coach record, when he goes up against 800 or better opponents, they're coming off a win-no-cover, as is the case with Michigan this week. He's just 3-8 and eight against the point spread. Bottom line to me, the Michigan Wolverines, as a dog, I'll always look there first. They happen to be 11-3 and three against the spread in this role, coming off a, as a dog coming off a favored win, no cover, taking on greater than 800 opponents, including 5-0 and to the spread as a dog of four or more points in this particular role. Give me the points with Michigan in this big Saturday night showdown game at Happy Valley. Don't go away, guys. When Victor and I come back, we're going to tear down our NFL game of the week, and we've got a beauty on tap in the AFC Conference. We'll come back with that, and we'll also hop out to Vegas to get the Vegas vibe with our good friend Andy Isco when we're back shortly here on Mark Lawrence Against the Spread. All new Playbooks tokens are here. Only at Playbook.com can you earn rewards and get up to $100 in free Playbucks tokens to use as you choose. And with your Playbucks tokens, you can use them for Playbook experts' picks and selections. Plus, you earn 20% in free bonus tokens when you do. If you haven't got your $100 in free Playbucks tokens, do so now. Simply visit Playbook.com and click on the Tokens link. It's that easy. That's the all-new Playbucks tokens waiting for you at Playbook.com. If you haven't seen Andy Isco's The Logical Approach Football Newsletter, then you owe it to yourself to download this week's newsletter in time for the football games this week. Andy's statistical and fundamental take on every week's football card is comprehensive and visionary. Many say it's like money in the bank. Check out the new issue every week at TheLogicalApproach.com. See what winning football information is all about at TheLogicalApproach.com. Hey, welcome back, everybody. This is Mark Lawrence along with Victor King from King Creole Sports. And we're going against the spread on this week's college and pro football cards. It's time for our NFL Game of the Week. We'll stay inside the AFC Conference in a key AFC South division battle when the Houston Texans invade Indianapolis to take on the Colts. Victor, how do you see the Texans and the Colts shaking out this Sunday? Should be a fun game there for uh, AFC South fans. 
Uh, I'm showing that Houston did open up as a very short, what, one-point favorite, and it's crossed over the number of zero. Indianapolis now favored by one. The over-under line open at 47.5. It looks like the early action is basically 50-50. It hasn't moved at all. Still at 47.5 as we record the podcast here on Wednesday morning on the season. Houston coming in at 3-3 three and three over-under. They did go over in their season opener against the Saints, three straight unders in a row against Jacksonville, against the Chargers, and against Carolina, and have really broken it open in their last two games. That big win over Atlanta two weeks ago in which there were 85 total points, and the upset win last week against Kansas City in which the game did go over by a half a point. 31 to 24, I believe, was the final score. That's your over-under breakdown for Houston. The Colts come in rested. They're off their bye week. Three and two over-under on the season. But a perfect 2-0 and over-under at home this year, in which an average of 53.0 combined points have been scored. In terms of the series between these two, five of the last six meetings have gone under the total. The average line, 46.8. The average combined points, 42. So the average Houston-Indianapolis game has gone under by 4.8 points per game. It could very well come down to the, if you ask me, the rushing game between these two teams. I say that because both love running the ball and have had success this year running the ball. Ranked number four and number five, respectively, in rushing yards per game, the Colts at 142, Houston at 140 on the season. You saw Houston run a rough shot over the Chiefs last particular week. So who's going to have the rushing success? It could very well be the visiting Houston team. And I say that because on defense, Houston's got one of the better rushing defenses in the league. They're averaging less than 90 rushing yards game allowed this season while the Colts are up at around the 115 range, so it could very well come down to uh, Houston outrushing the Colts in this particular game. Not to mention, Mark, that if it's going to need to get into any sort of a shootout, who would you rather have, Deshaun Watson or Jacoby Brissett? We have not seen the Colts have to rely on Brissett's arm exclusively yet this particular season. From the database, most of the queries that I threw in there, look at this game as a decent undervalue. Number one, AFC South division games have gone now 2-12 and 12 over under in the last five years when the home team is favored, which is now the case, and when the over-under line is 43 or more points. And that includes 1-6 overall in the last two years. I know Houston scored a ton of points in each of their last two games, wins with 31 or more points so i kind of queried that in the database as well and this has gone five and 22 that's five overs 22 unders division road dogs of back-to-back wins in which they scored 31 or more points when the over underline is greater than 41 that five and 22 applies to houston in this particular game and another another tie-in or another con constant in regards to this game is that both teams are actually off 
road dog wins against the Kansas City Chiefs in their last game. And here's another uh, something out of the database that's gone one and ten over under, one over ten unders, and it goes back 15 seasons. And it's all division games, and both teams come in off a road dog win, which applies in this particular game. I think we've got about three or four points of value. I can see this game finishing somewhere in the low 40s. So, yeah, there's some value, and we're going under when Houston takes on Indianapolis. Victor's going to look for an under in the AFC South Division matchup between the Texans and the Colts this Sunday. A big matchup between two football teams that uh, both have playoff aspirations. We're not quite yet to the halfway point of the NFL season, but both playing some pretty good football thus far this year. Deshaun Watson from the Houston Texans has really settled into becoming an upper-tier premier quarterback in the NFL, especially now that he has an offensive line to protect him. Doing a great job here come, uh, of late when he suffered no sacks two weeks ago. He's been terrific in his career as an underdog in the NFL, going 9-2-1 against the spread, including 5-0-1 in his last six football games. I think the big statistical matchup in this game, this comes from our midweek alert, midweek newsletter, which is all about statistics. It's kind of the daily racing form of football newsletters, if you will. And when you tear the midweek down in this matchup here, the thing that jumps out off the page is the fact that Houston runs the football for 5.0 yards a carry. And that goes into an Indianapolis Colts defense that allows 5.1 yards a carry. That makes the Houston Texans a 5 by 5 division running dog, and that's very, very powerful. We look for 4 by 4 division running dogs. This is a full 5 by 5 to the Houston Texans in this football game. The Indianapolis Colts right now are a perfect 7-0 and to the spread in their third home game of the season. They're also 7-0 and to the spread in games which both teams are coming off away games. A weak arrest for the Colts in this football game should serve them well. Their effort, though, on the scoreboard has been a little bit misleading here. They have not scored 27 or more points in any football game this year. And that goes against Houston, who has scored 27 or more points in four of their six football games this year. The bottom line to me in this contest is the Houston Texans come in here with playoff loss revenge. They lost at home as a favorite in the wild card round of the Indianapolis Colts 21-7 last year. I think that playoff revenge chip on their shoulder means a lot, especially in a football game amongst two division rivals here. I'll play Houston plus the points over the Colts on Sunday for my side in this National Football League showdown. You're tuned in to Mark Lawrence against the spread, the nation's most popular sports handicapping talk show. And with that, let's move over to one of our most popular segments on the show as we join in with our good friend Andy Isco from TheLogicalApproach.com in Las Vegas. Andy, I'm sure the weather's cooling off in Las Vegas these days, and I hope for you that the football results are warming up. Well, a little bit of both, Mark. Uh, it's been a, an interesting season so far. I'm, I imagine you may have talked about just the incredible performance in the NFL of road underdogs. I've got them at 40, 20, and 1. That's uh, 67% over more than 60 games. Uh, That's very impressive. You know, if the mathematicians are correct, we should see some sort of regression, but we haven't started to see it yet. And 
We don't know if it'll be coming this week, but we're also seeing a lot of smaller lines. It's been a season of extremes. We've had these huge double-digit favorites in games generally uh, involving the Miami Dolphins and Washington Redskins, except for the game last week where they faced one another. And then we've had a lot of competitive games with lines of four points or less. So it'll be interesting to see how the middle third of the NFL season plays out over the next month or so. Now, interesting that you mentioned that, Andy, because I had a conversation this morning with my son, Mark Lawrence Jr., also known in some circles as the Cincinnati Kid, and he does a lot of work inside of our database for him, for us. And what he really likes honing down in, in is game situations for NFL football teams. How do teams perform in game five? How do they perform in game six, seven? But what he told me this morning was kind of eye-opening to me in the fact that week seven in the National Football League has been very, very profitable for favorites in the NFL. Now, that kind of goes a little bit into what you're saying against what you're saying about the strength and the success of road dogs thus far. So if that regression to the mean is to occur and it happens this week in the National Football League, it might not come as all that much of a surprise, especially based upon the information passed on to me by my son, Mark Lawrence, Jr. And, 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 and you know, Mark, uh, I was going to say, Mark, part, part of that is is that by the time you get to Game 7, and of course for a, a handful of teams that have had buys, it's Game 6, you will have had enough of a uh, database of games that have played that these teams will have played good teams, they'll have played bad teams, they'll have played mediocre teams within the schedule. So you sort of start to get a real good feel for what kind of teams – a specific team is capable of beating and what kind of teams, what level of teams uh, t- uh, that same team may have uh, some difficulty or will struggle against. And I think as a result, we start to see some of these lines come into adjustment where uh, you start to not just base it on the last game, but the last couple of games. And sometimes we have surprises like uh, the game that I had last week, which I was wrong on, uh, the Dallas Cowboys stepping down in class after facing a couple of quality teams in Green Bay and New Orleans and really uh, – looking bad throughout their basically most of their game against the Jets. Now, maybe that's a little bit of an unusual situation because the Jets were getting their quarterback back who uh, in Darnold, who really hadn't played at full strength this season. You have to believe in week one, he was somewhat affected by the onset of the mono that was diagnosed a couple of days later. But for the most part, we've been able to see which teams have been able to struggle against uh, uh, certain levels of opponents, which teams have... Um, Uh, have been able to have success. And again, the record, I think, of road underdogs, 40, 20, and 1, speaks to the point that uh, we are not seeing necessarily parity in the league. What we're seeing is that from one season to the next, there can be dramatic changes. And when you have all the coaching turnovers that we've had over the last few years, it really shouldn't come as that much of a surprise. Only the extremes that we're seeing are the surprising part. Good point, Andy. Uh, As you mentioned here, you get into the past week six of the National Football League and these teams' personalities are getting more and more solidified. So the handicaps in these football games become a little bit more definitive, if you will. So we'll see if this road dog streak continues in the National Football League. I kind of hope it does because, you know, I'm a big, huge underdog lover in the National Football League. But uh, we'll also play buyer beware as we go into handicapping this week's football card. We're visiting with Andy Isco from TheLogicalApproach.com, publisher of one of the most popular football weekly newsletters, The Logical Approach. And if you will, you want to download a copy this week because Andy does his annual mid-season 
overachievers and underachievers in college football this week. He lists the top 20 in both overachieving and underachieving this thus far this year. And I'll pass this along to our listeners. Before you download that copy, you'll find number one in the overachiever role so far this year is the Louisville Cardinals. And on the flip side, the number one underachiever is the UMass Minutemen. But take a look at these top 20 teams along with all of what Andy's got to say about the college and pro football cards this week when you go online at thelogicalapproach.com to download your copy just in time for the games this week. And talking about the games this week, Andy, when we visited with you last week, uh, looking at a recap of sorts in the major contests in Las Vegas, the Super Book Contest here, when I talked with you, the leader got out to a 23-2 and start, which is next to phenomenal. I'm sure – I'm going to guess that this is going to eventually come back to the norm here. But uh, as we recap the results in the contests, the, uh, the four major contests, the Superbook contest, the Gold contest at the Westgate, the Circa, and the Golden Nugget, did that 23-2 and leader continue his pace last week? Well, uh, I believe it was the leader who went four and one because the leader is now 27 and three. That's 27 out of a possible 30 points. And if you do the math, that's 90 percent. And here we are basically a third of the way into the season. It's truly phenomenal. Not only that, he's got a um, three and a half point lead over a pair of entrants who are 23, uh, 23 and a half of 30 point uh, of the 30 points possible and put another way of the 3,300 plus contestants. It's a small percentage, but a nice number. 109 of the uh, 3,300 contestants are hitting 68.3% or better through six weeks of the NFL season. But it's that leaderboard up at the very top 20 and three, very phenomenal. And that gentleman or lady uh, or group uh, seems to be in line if they can uh, hold up, uh, maybe go another uh, eight and two over the next two weeks, uh, cash that one, uh, the one half season prize that the uh, Westgate is uh, is offering uh, this season. As far as the results uh, themselves last week in the uh, regular classic super uh, super contest, uh, the consensus plays were just two and three. Uh, when you look at a breakdown of uh, the selections. All five of the consensus plays last week were on favored teams. They won with the Seahawks uh, over the Browns laying a point and a half, and they won with the Vikings laying the three against Minnesota. But the uh, consensus losers amongst the top five, the Jaguars laying the point and a half at the Saints, the Rams laying the three at home against San Francisco, and Dallas laying the seven at the New York Jets. In fact, last week on favorites, 11 of the 14 games had the preferred side, the favorite in the game, and those favorites went just four and seven. So for the year, when they're playing favorites, 20, 31, and two against the spread for the uh, uh, contest as a whole, that's a little bit under 40% winners. Underdogs, they've done uh, somewhat better, very slightly profitable. Last week, two and one, as the underdog winners were the Bengals and the Texans, the loser, the Titans, 20 and 16, as far as when the underdog is the more popular side. Overall for the season, hitting uh, right around 45%, 40 up, 49 down, and two pushes. And that's in the regular uh, Super Contest. Uh, The Super Contest Gold, which had, I think it was about 117 entries, if I recall correctly. Uh, They've done very well when it's come to underdog. Let me just go through the uh, consensus plays uh, in that contest. 
they had three favorites form part of the consensus, two underdogs of the top five. Uh, they went just one and four last week. The Vikings were the one winner. The two losers amongst the favorite teams that were playing were the Jaguars and the Rams. And the two underdogs that uh, comprised part of the consensus that came up short were the Browns and the uh, Tennessee Titans. Uh, for the year, however, underdogs, when they've been the selection of the elite uh, gold contest contestants, 32-21-1, overall 47-41-2. So whereas the overall regular Super Contest uh, contestants have had a losing record, the overall contestants in the Super Contest Gold, that's the $5,000 winner-take-all uh, entry fee, they've had a winning season thus far. As far as the standings go, not quite as good as the uh, regular Super Contest, but it makes sense. There's about uh, uh, you know a third is uh, about uh, a third. 3% as many contestants in that one as in the regular Super Contest, but still a very fine winner, a, fi a very fine leaderboard, etc. Two contestants tied at 22 and 8. That equates to 73.3%. And 27 of the uh, contestants, that's about a quarter of the field, are hitting 60% or better in the Super Contest Gold. When we get over to the uh, Circa Million Contest, the new contest this year that's been offered has been very attractive. Uh, they had a very unusual situation last week with their consensus because of the top five teams uh, that uh, were selected, two of them were in the same game, and the number of contestants on each of them was very, very close. And that was the game between Seattle and the Cleveland Browns. The Seahawks were minus one and a half in uh, the contest. Uh, uh, Seattle had 468 contestants pick them. The Browns had 486. So uh, you had a very near split between those two. And, of course, it was a very competitive game decided by four points late. Of course, uh, Seattle was the point spread and straight-up winner. The Browns the loser. Uh, two other favorites uh, were involved in the consensus. The Vikings uh, covering against the Eagles. The Jaguars not covering against the Saints. And the other consensus play was an underdog on the Titans. That came up short. So uh, for the week, two and three, 15, 14, and one for the contestants in the circuit consensus. Uh, the underdogs once again, uh, they're about 18, I think it's 1875 contestants. And when the underdog has been the more popular side in the game, 27, 14, and one. So uh, that, along with uh, uh, the Super Contest Gold, those uh, impressive underdog percentages in line with what we've seen road underdogs do throughout the NFL in general through the uh, first uh, six weeks. Overall in the Circuit Contest, 48 up, 42 down, and one push. And, of course, uh, to get to the full 92 games, we must include there was one game earlier in the year in which there was an even split on both sides of the contest. As far as the leaderboard goes, one contestant at 23 and a half of 30 points, another contestant at 23, five contestants at 22 and a half, four more at 22. This in the uh, uh, circuit contest, again, mirroring the uh, uh, super contest in which you make five selections, NFL only. Uh, the Golden Nugget contest is the one we talk about that combines college and pro football selections. We don't really have a consensus there because uh, with over 60 games to choose from, uh, there are uh, a lot of games that come very, very close or have minimal impact. And not very often do we have a side that has a significant uh, percentage out of the entire contest. It's sides only, college and pro seven picks per week. The two leaders in the contest are at 31 and 11. That's 31 out of a possible 42 points. That's 73.8% picking seven games a week. So that's 42 picks over uh, six weeks. Uh, that uh, Those two contestants have a one-point lead over one contestant, 
Three more at 29 and a half, one at 29. And overall, there are 24 contestants hitting 64.3% uh, or better. And I think that had a little bit over 300 entries, if I recall correctly. So a nice performance uh, uh, so far. But uh, that leaderboard, that leader in the Super Contest is uh, receiving deservedly a lot of attention, uh, especially in terms of how far of how far, or how deep in the, se- in the season uh, he will continue to hit, let's say, even above 80% for the season because he can afford a couple of subpar weeks and still be above 80 percent yeah that's absolutely amazing uh, what's going on in the super contest that leader 27 and 3 on the season here we'll keep a pulse on that and see exactly where he stands and we're approaching the halfway point of the national football league season my best guess is he will be at least in the top five at that particular juncture but bottom line is we'll keep an eye on that leader in the super book contest we're visiting with Andy Isco from TheLogicalApproach.com in Las Vegas. Andy, if you would, I know our listeners would like to know what some of the major line moves that you've seen so far this week in the NFL are concerned, and also some of the advanced line looks from the Westgate Superbook for next week's games. Uh, sure, Mark. And uh, actually, what we do is we take a look at uh, the lines compared to where they were uh, last week when the um, – uh, when the Westgate put out their uh, advanced lines for uh, the games to be played uh, a week and a half ahead. So the lines for week seven this coming week were actually put out uh, last Tuesday, which would have been um, October 8th for the games to be played on the 17th through the 21st. No no really significant adjustments, and that's not surprising at this time of the year. As, uh, as, as we talked about earlier, these teams have developed their personalities. We know the ups and the downs, the good and the bad, etc. We know which, which early season surprises continue to play well and which ones may have struggled. Uh, the Thursday night game between Kansas City and Denver is somewhat interesting because Kansas City has had uh, three uh, subpar performances in a row after starting 3-0. and And looking, Kansas City had looked like the second-best team in the NFL along with uh, New England up there for the first three weeks of the season. They got by in Detroit, and then they lost those last two games to Indianapolis and then uh, uh, this past week's loss to Houston. The advanced line had the Kansas City Chiefs four-and-a-half-point road favorites at division rival Denver during the week. The line had actually been bet up to five-and-a-half and then five when it came down prior to their game against Houston. When the game was reposted later that afternoon, uh, the Kansas City Chiefs were just four-and-a-half-point road favorites. And I guess the combination of Denver having won two in a row, the short week, Going on the road at Kansas City's recent form, especially their vulnerability defensively against the run, the money has come in on Denver. The Kansas City Chiefs down to a three-point road favorite for the Thursday night contest at Denver. A couple of other games worth interesting because of the flip-flop nature around Pickham, and that's the Minnesota at Detroit game. Detroit played, of course, very well uh, this past week, as did uh, Minnesota. Detroit arguably should have won uh, the game Monday night at Green Bay, and of course, the NFL officials or the NFL office once a game ca- once again came out and said uh, we blew that uh, that call, uh, one of those penalty calls on the uh, hands to the face. Uh, does Detroit no good? It still counts as a loss, but nonetheless. Um, they were impressive against Green Bay, Minnesota impressive against a playoff team from last year, Philadelphia. When this line came out a week or so ago, the game was Pickham. 
after Sunday's action, Minnesota opened a one-point favorite. It was actually bet down to uh, pick them prior to Monday night where the game came off the board. When the game came back up on Tuesday morning, Detroit opened as a one-point favorite. The movement, however, went back, and it's flipped over the pick point where Minnesota now a one-point road favorite. Oakland at Green Bay. Of course, Oakland off their bye, uh, preceded by uh, very nice wins, and no, neither of them were fluky against a pair of double-digit win playoff teams from last year, the Chicago game in London, preceded by the win at Indianapolis. Last week, Green Bay was a seven-point favorite. And, of course, Oakland, neither team played on Sunday. When the game came back up Sunday afternoon, Green Bay was down to a six-and-a-half-point favorite when the game came off for the Sunday night game. On Monday morning, after Green, uh, excuse me, on Tuesday morning, after Green Bay um, sneaked by Detroit, and uh, just to mention the uh, the controversial ending with that field goal to win by one, uh, they were bet uh, they were excuse me opened as a six point home favorite against the Raiders. That's since been bet down in many places to five and a half. And one other game worth noting: the Los Angeles Chargers at the uh, Tennessee Titans. This game opened a pick'em. When it was posted last Tuesday, and when the game was reposted on Sunday afternoon, after both the uh, well, the Chargers played Sunday night and Tennessee played Sunday afternoon, the game was reposted at Pickham after both teams were in action on Monday morning when it came up, and yet the early money has been very heavy towards the Tennessee side. The Titans went from Pickham to two and a half point favorites in just a matter of hours uh, following the reposting of that game. Now these games uh, for Week Eight were posted uh, this past. Uh, uh, Tuesday, which would have been uh, October 15th for games to be played on the 24th through the 28th, beginning with the Thursday night game, Washington at Minnesota. The Vikings favored by 14 and a half points as they host uh, the Redskins. Uh, Sunday's games, Giants at Detroit. Uh, Detroit, at a, this is not a misprint, Detroit a 7.5-point home favorite over the uh, New York Giants. And I would imagine that even as we're speaking, I'm guessing money may have come in on the uh, Giants because as well as Detroit has played, that seems to be an unusually high number against the football team and the Giants. That seems to be showing some improvement when facing teams other than uh, the elite teams in the league. Tampa Bay at Tennessee, the Titans at home favored by 2.5. Of course, Tampa Bay on a bye this week following their game in London against Carolina this past Sunday. The Chicago Bears host the Los Angeles Chargers. Bears, six-point home favorites. Seattle will be at struggling Atlanta. Seattle, a three-point road favorite. The New York Jets will be at Jacksonville, where the Jaguars are four-and-a-half-point home favorites. This is an intriguing matchup interleague game between Philadelphia and Buffalo. It's at Buffalo. This game has opened a pick 'em. Cincinnati will face the Los Angeles Rams in a game played in London. The Rams nine and a half point home favorite, or excuse me, neutral site favorites. Rams nine and a half over winless Cincinnati. The Arizona Cardinals will be at New Orleans. There's no line posted on this game because it is possible Drew Brees may be cleared to return for this game, although the way the Saints have played uh, with Teddy Bridgewater unbeaten since he took over for Brees when he injured his thumb, uh, I'm not so sure that there's going to be a significant uh, improvement in the performance of the Saints, although you'd have to believe that Brees will give them uh, 
little bit more in the way of offense, but uh, that New Orleans defense, that bend and break uh, defense, has made it a little easier on Teddy Bridgewater to continue uh, the fine play of the Saints. Oakland will be at Houston. The Texans at home, six and a half point favorites. Carolina in San Francisco, 49ers, six point home favorites. Denver at Indianapolis, the Colts, four and a half point favorites. Cleveland will be at New England, and New England, 11 and a half point home favorites. By the way, let me mention that that Denver Indianapolis game, there has been a time change. They are now going to be uh, an earlier starting game rather than uh, one of the later afternoon games. Uh, Cleveland at New England, I mentioned the Patriots, 11 and a half point favorite, home favorites. Sunday night game, Green Bay at Kansas City, the Chiefs favored by four. And on Monday night, I know everyone will be uh, watching this one. Uh, Miami at Pittsburgh. The Pittsburgh Steelers, 16-and-a-half-point home favorites over the Miami Dolphins on Monday, October 28th. Well, that's, Andy, what I call must-see TV, the Miami Dolphins, on a Monday night football game this year. <laughs> but it is what it is, what it is. So we'll see what happens with the, the tanking Miami Dolphins this week, or next week, I should say, when they invade Pittsburgh to take on the Pittsburgh Steelers. We're visiting with Andy Isco from TheLogicalApproach.com in Las Vegas. And before we get Andy's complimentary play on the show this week, I know, Victor, you've got a question you'd like to run by Andy as well. You know, a quick thought that the, uh, the the theme down here this season in South Florida has been tanking for Tua, but I'm hearing more and more people these days say, I think we might rather blow for Joe, as in Joe Burrows <laughs> of LSU, the ex-Ohio State guy. Uh, Andy, on a side note, it must have been a good finish for the uh, books across the nation again this week with the Sunday night game going dog and under, the Monday night game going dog and under. The Sunday night games have now gone zero overs, six unders on the season. And in fact, Sunday night, Monday night games combined this year, two and 11 over under. I just want to get your thoughts on when Jamal Williams sat down on the two yard line. The ATS result was on the line. The over under result was on the line. Your thoughts to how that Monday night game ended. I wasn't all that surprised, and you could debate whether or not it was the right move for Williams not to score. The reason being is that even though it was a short field goal that Crosby ultimately ended up making, the field conditions were such... Uh, that it wasn't a gimme. And the fact is that had Williams scored, uh, the Lions still would have needed a touchdown rather than a field goal uh, to uh, win the game. So uh, you can debate it either way from a football sense, from a strategic standpoint. I understood the move because the thought was, and, and you saw that Detroit was basically inviting him to score, was basically recognizing, hey, we can't have a chance to win this game, whether it be 1%, 2%, or 5%, whatever it might be unless we get the football back and Green Bay realized that and apparently in their mind and I don't know that there's any hard statistical way to immediately figure it out they must have felt that the percentages of Crosby making what would have been a short field goal outweighed the uh, possibility or the likelihood of Green Bay missing the field goal and Detroit being able to come back and score uh, if uh, they had uh, gone for the touchdown instead of the field goal. So I understood the move. I guess if you had the uh, 
Packers in the over, you were disappointed. If you had the Lions and the under, or, or the under, and or the under, uh, you were pleased. We've seen that occur several times in recent years as uh, uh, teams understand a little bit more about uh, the strategy of the game and realizing that the percentages are generally in your favor if you do not let your opponent have another chance uh, at the uh, football. That's why so often, and we saw it uh, very several times, where a team down by one is almost encouraging the opposition to score and the opposition recognizing exactly uh, what's going on. And as to your first point, uh, I believe this was the second best week of the season as far as the bookmakers are concerned. We had that a few weeks ago when we had all those uh, upsets. I think what we saw this week was when you had Dallas go down straight up to the Jets. It broke up a lot of teasers, broke up a lot of money line parlays, and of course continued to trend uh, of underdogs in general uh, doing doing well. Although actually home underdogs have not performed well. It's been the road underdogs that have been uh, getting the uh, uh, the bulk of the money this year. Nonetheless, uh, the Sunday night and Monday night games uh, being the uh, generally low-scoring games, as you point out, uh, uh, so much action is tied into the Sunday night and the Monday night games that any parlays that remain alive, for example, heading into Sunday night, well, you know, when the underdog uh, performs, uh, as, as we saw Pittsburgh winning straight up, uh, that that knocks out a lot of those ones that had been that had not been knocked out earlier in the day. And then when you see the same thing on uh, on Monday night, I guess the only thing that might have been uh, better for the books on Monday night is if uh, Detroit had won outright. But by the time that uh, that game was played, so much of the liability from Sunday that had been tied into the Monday night game had already disappeared based upon uh, those results on Sunday. Andy, before I let you go, I know our listeners would like to know what you've got on tap for your complimentary play in the NFL this week. I'm going to go to the game I mentioned in the line recap, and that's the game between Minnesota and uh, Detroit. Detroit has played a lot of close games this year. In fact, if I recall correctly, all but one have been decided by uh, uh, four points or less. Minnesota has uh, gotten off to a fine start. Two of their well, they're they're only they're four and two. The two losses were actually uh, were actually on the divisional road at Green Bay and at Chicago. So this becomes an important game for the Vikings, whose uh, wins. Have, uh, whose four wins have all been by double digits, and they've played uh, four playoff teams from last year. So uh, they've played some very good competition. I'm going to go uh, with the Minnesota Vikings in this game, uh, not just for factors uh, that I just alluded to, but one of the things I like to look at at this time of the year is a comparison of the defensive abilities of the two teams in a game. And I measure those defensive abilities by yards per play, defensively and yards per pass completion, not yards per pass attempt, because as I mentioned before, that doesn't really tell me anything because it factors in incompletions. I want to know when passes are completed, how far they, uh, how much, how much ground is gained. And when I take a look at those numbers for the Vikings and the Lions, the Vikings are allowing 1.1 yards less per play defensively, which is a significant number uh, when you consider the number of plays run in a football game and the yards that are gained. But more impressively, they are allowing 3.0 yards less per completion when opposing passes are successful in getting the ball to their receivers. That's a significant edge. 
Uh, Minnesota knowing the importance of this game because should they lose this game, it means that they can do no better than finish three and three in what is a very competitive uh, NFC North. And that would require them winning all three home games that they have remaining. Even if they win this game and then win out at home, they're still four and two in the division. And that's not necessarily going to guarantee them an edge in a tiebreaker against a, a Minnesota, against a, a Chicago or a Green Bay or even a Detroit, especially with Detroit having that one less loss due to uh, the tie. So I'm going to go with the Minnesota Vikings. I've seen uh, much improvement out of the play of quarterback Kirk Cousins. He's been absolutely outstanding uh, the last two weeks uh, in the uh, performances that he's had, especially the uh, uh, this past week against Philadelphia. And when he's performing well, and I think he's responded well to all the criticism, and they've been a little bit more aggressive in play calling, have the Vikings. It takes pressure off Dalvin Cook to be the bulk of the offense, makes Minnesota a much more balanced team. They do have some outstanding receivers, makes it a little bit more uh, difficult for opposing teams to defense. And so I think it puts a lot of pressure on Detroit. The fact that Minnesota has a little extra rest, that's nice. But I think the importance of the game and the better pedigree, I'm going to go with Minnesota in what is effectively a pick'em game. Andy Isco on the Minnesota Vikings against what might potentially be a downtrodden Detroit Lions football squad this Sunday for his complimentary play on the show this week. Andy, once again, as always, a great job. I'm going to wish you the very best of luck this week on both your college and pro football selections, and we'll look forward to visiting with you next week here on Mark Lawrence Against the Spread. Mark, I'd like to wish you and uh, Victor and all the listeners uh, the greatest of success as well as we get into the meat of the uh, NFL and also the college football season. The exciting time coming up, the projections for which teams will be playing at the end of regular seasons in both sports. Thanks once again, Andy. Good luck to you this week, as always. That was Andy Isco joining us from TheLogicalApproach.com in Las Vegas. And don't go away, guys. When we come back, we'll put the final wraps in this edition of the show when we come back with our complimentary plays and our awesome angle after this short commercial break. Attention sports fans, it's time to get in on all the football action at mybookie.ag. This industry-leading website is renowned for having the best odds and more betting options than any other sports book online. This is why Mark Lawrence only endorses mybookie.ag. Call toll-free at 1-844-900-2387 or go online to mybookie.ag to open an account and start winning today. Get the odds you want and the fast payouts you need guaranteed. That's mybookie.a as an apple and g as in games. Tell them Mark Lawrence sent you. Only the biggest, only the best, only at mybookie.ag. Sign up today. And now, the moment you've been waiting for. From the hot South Florida sun, it's Mark Lawrence with his awesome angle of the week. All right, guys, let's get to it. Our awesome angle of the week. It comes directly from the Playbook Football Newsletter, part of our Fat Cat follow-up smart box this particular week. And what we're looking to do is to play against any 5-1 and one college football team in Game 6 of the season that's coming off its first loss of the year if they're taking on an opponent that beat them in their most recent meeting. These despondent 5-1 and one football teams taking on teams that know – that they've taken care of this team in the most recent meeting have responded really well by playing against them. This play against situation is 26, 11 and one to the spread since 1980. That's a 70% point spread play against. And this week we'll be playing against Memphis 
and Wake Forest for our 5-0 Fat Cat follow-up from this week's Playbook Football Newsletter. And with that, let's hand it off to Victor King from King Creole Sports for his complimentary play on the show this week. And Victor, if you would, also let our listeners know what you've got on tap at King Creole Sports this weekend. Can do. And, you know, as we touched on at the top of the show, it was a rough week in the NFL for our uh, totals team. But Saturday was uh, very, very nice. 2-0 with the college football totals plays. At high noon, it was Temple and Memphis over the total, a nice three-star winner. And then we came back in the uh, ACC conference on Saturday night, four-star over of the week. The bar was set high, 65 points in the uh, Wake Forest-Louisville game. I know you just touched on the fact that Wake Forest lost that game. Final score, 62-59, to 59, 121 points were scored in that particular game. It went over by over 50 points, a nice way to wrap up the week in college football. And we'll have multiple college football over-under selections available at the playbook.com website. They should be up by sometime on Thursday, in addition to uh, this Sunday's NFL over-under plays as well. And for our free play, we're going to have Tuco a break this week. And instead, we're going to go to Tuco's older sister. That would be Monkey. And Monkey's going under the total in the NFL in the Jacksonville Jaguars-Cincinnati Bengals game. A game that opened at 47.5 has already come down to 44. Major line move. There's still value. There's still time to get your play in. Of course, we've got one offense averaging only 19.5 points per game on the season. And the other one's even worse at 16.5 points per game. We do know that Cincinnati now is one of only two winless teams in the league in the NFL. So that kind of brings us to our highlight situation. It applied last week. It won last week. Winless home underdogs of a field goal or more, like Cincinnati is in this game, have gone 3-17 and 17 over under in the last four years. This is also one of the only games this week in the NFL in which the home team is actually an underdog. And that plays right into a situation that's gone 0-7 over under since 2013. Game 7 home underdogs of greater than one point when the over under line is uh, less than 45 particular points. The Jaguars, of course, last week they lost as home faves to the Saints. I know you were on the Saints as one of your NFL winners last week. 0-7 over under last year. Game four or greater road favorites off a home fave loss that applies to Jacksonville when the over under line is less than 44 points. And uh, finally, you know, I was also looking for something in the database for when these two particular divisions play each other. And in the last three years, AFC North home teams against AFC South opponents have gone 0 and 7. That's zero overs, seven unders when the over under line is 44 or less points. This game has basically got 0 oh, 20 to 17 written all over it. Monkeys going under the total, Jaguars versus Bengals. And don't forget, to, all of our totals plays will be available at playbook.com. Best of luck. you got a big one, as I hear, in the NFL this week, Mark. That we do, Victor. And Victor, as you mentioned, is going under, if you will, with Monkey 
in the Jacksonville-Cincinnati game. Tuco on a bye week, but not really a bye week. You want to check out what Tuco's got inside this week's Playbook Totals tip sheet for his Tuco play. He's cashed on 67% of those plays this year. Before I get to my complimentary play on the card this week, once again, a reminder that our friends at mybookie.ag, the only offshore sports book that I personally endorse, is offering a bonus to all Playbook subscribers who log on at mybookie.ag and mention the promo code PLAYBOOK. At mybookie.ag, you bet college football, you win, you get paid. You bet the NFL, you win, and you get paid. Remember, log on at mybookie.ag, enter the promo code PLAYBOOK for your playbook bonus at mybookie.ag. And as Victor mentioned here, our NFL Game of the Month will kick off this Sunday on quite an attractive National Football League card. It's part of another $99 football weekend of winners. You can log on now at playbook.com to join me for all of our college and NFL plays, including the NFL Game of the Month, or call toll-free to get on board at 1-800-321-7777. My complimentary play on the football card this week in college football, we're going to play the Boston College Golden Eagles this week against NC State. Boston College flying a little bit under the radar this year. They're a perfect 3-0 to the spread as a dog this season. Their most recent loss was by three points to Wake Forest. They also lost by two points at Louisville. Boston College coming off a bye week this week, taking on NC State, who is 0-2 straight up in true road games this football season here. They lost by 17 points at West Virginia. They lost by 18 points at Florida State. And this is an Eagle football team that has run the football for more than 225 yards in each of the last five football games. We like Boston College plus the points in the upset over NC State Saturday for our complimentary play on the show this week. And that's going to put the final wraps on this edition of Mark Lawrence Against the Spread. For our co-host Victor King from King Creole Sports, our good friend Andy Isco joining us from TheLogicalApproach.com in Las Vegas, and... Our good friend Jack Reynolds, who we know is listening from above. Until next week, once again, this is Mark Lawrence reminding you to always remember to bet with your head, not over it, and good luck as always.